Well, I want to share a story this morning that just points out what a, what a great father I am. Very tender, compassionate. Now, this is, don't laugh. This is the truth. This is the real deal. I, you know, it's my job to set an example and a model, and, and that's what I want to do. It's a story I've told before. It was a long time ago that I told it, but I, I think it works well this morning. I was, I was hiking with my, my boys, Colin and Randy, who at the time were like five and four. So this is, this is ten years ago, and uh, we, we were hiking in the Colorado mountains, uh, uh, a trail we had hiked before and had hiked many times since. And, and we're heading down this trail, and we're just, just starting. We're, we haven't been hiking for 10 minutes. And up in the tree uh, is a deer carcass. Now, the only thing in this area that puts a deer up in the tree would, would be a mountain lion. And so we go a little bit further down the path, and we come to a spot that we normally like to just sit down and just kind of take in everything, enjoy the, the majesty and the beauty of the moment and, uh, of course, with a five- and a four-year-old, the big topic of conversation right now is mountain lions. And so uh, my, my son, Colin, he says, uh, he says Dad, if a mountain lion come out right now, would you be scared? Not really. He kind of looked stunned and surprised. He said, well, well, why not? And I said, I, I looked at him, and I said, well, I just have to not be the slowest. <laughs> and so, <laughs> now... What happened next is one of the great moments in my life. If I could capture this face, and, and I, I will remember this to the day of my grave, uh, Randy, who again, remember, he's about four years old, watching on his face, he's doing the math of how this would work out if a mountain lion, you know, you can just see him thinking, the wheels are turning, and he looks at me, he looks at Colin, he looks back at me and says, I want to go home. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm a good father. <laughs> so, uh, now, uh, obviously, if we went to that same spot today and a mountain lion came out, I'd be the one wanting to go home. A lot changes in 10 years, doesn't it? You know, folks, when we are uncertain, when we're insecure about our status and about how things might work out for us, you know what we do? We compare ourselves to others. I want to I figure out where my standing in the, is in this, and I want to figure out how I relate with people around me. Now, we don't necessarily have to be the fastest, or the strongest, or the prettiest, or the wealthiest, or, or the smartest. I don't have to be the very, very best, but I, I sure want to know where I am in the pack. You know, if this thing goes bad, where, where am I in the pack? It's kind of fun to be at the front of the pack, isn't it? But if we ever sense we're sliding to the back of the pack, that's when we, we want to go home, Right? Last week, we looked at a, a strong word, uh, a hard word from God's word uh, on homosexuality. And remember, not just homosexuality, but some 20 other sins. And, and, and as we looked at these sins, we, we saw sins that maybe we would leave and, and we'd be thinking, well, I'm, I'm not like that. With the big topic of conversation being homosexuality, we might think, I'm not like that, as we try to figure out our status. Now you remember, uh, these sins, all of them, are illustrative of our decline into depravity. They're illustrative of our rejection of God, our rebellion against God, our, our choice to worship creation, and ultimately, to worship ourselves. And so, even though we have rejected God, and most of the world has, do you know we still plan on meeting Him? 
There's something in our soul that knows one day there, there's a judgment coming. One day I'm going to stand before God. And that, that feeling, that, that status creates some insecurity. And so as we think about going to stand before God, we're going to try to figure out where we stand in the pack. How this might work out for us. And so we might leave Romans chapter 1, especially with that bigger discussion on homosexuality, and we might look back and say, well, I'm not like that. At least I haven't done that. And we would feel more comfortable. We would feel more at ease. Maybe we would feel even so comfortable that we wouldn't even deal with our own sin that is every much, every bit as much destructive, every bit as much a, 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 a picture of our own rebellion against God. Now, whoever would leave Romans chapter 1 and say, well, I haven't done that, guess what? Romans chapter 2 is going to scoop you up. And it's going to do that right now. Let's look at Romans chapter 2 this morning. Romans chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, I hope you'll use one of ours there in front of you, underneath the, the chairs. If it's not right in front, it'll be somewhere on that row. You can point to it. Somebody will hand it to you. Romans chapter 2. This is our, this is the, the eighth message. Gosh, I told you I was going to finish this, and it, didn't I say about 50? We got 16 chapters, and I'm already, this is the eighth one. We're kind of starting slow, aren't we? You know, as we go through this, we're going to have times where we kind of fly. We pick up a, a whole bunch of verses at once. Last week we did 8, 9, 10 verses. Today we're going to do 16 verses, but then there'll be some other times we bog down again. Uh, so we're right now we're kind of moving here. But today, Romans chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 1 to 16. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation again today. Romans 2, verse 1. It says, you may be saying, what terrible people you have been talking about. (laughs) But you're just as bad. You have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you do these very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Do you think that God will judge and condemn others for doing them and not judge you when you do them too? Don't you realize how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Or don't you care? Can't you see how kind He has been in giving you time to turn from your sin? But no, you won't listen. So you're storing up terrible punishment for yourself because of your stubbornness in refusing to turn from your sin. For there is going to come a day of judgment when God, the just judge of all the world, will judge all people according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing what is good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. You see that in verse 7? He will give eternal life to those who persist in doing God. The only problem is nobody falls into that category. Not one single person has ever persisted in doing good. Verse 8, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves. Well, that's everybody, isn't it? He will pour His wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and practice evil deeds. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on sinning, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will also be glory, honor, and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. God will punish the Gentiles when they sin, even though they never had God's written law. 
And he will punish the Jews when they sin, for they do have the law. For it's not merely knowing the law that brings God's approval. Those who obey the law will be declared right in God's sight. Even when Gentiles who do not have God's written law instinctively follow what the law says, they show that in their hearts they know right from wrong. They demonstrate that God's law is written within them for their own consciences, either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. The day will surely come when God, by Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. This is my message. We've had a little bit of a, a change, a little bit of a transition as we come into, as we open up Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 1, it was all about they and them. You remember some of those? Romans 1.20, they are without excuse. 1.21, they did not honor God. Again in 1.21, they became futile. 1.22, they became fools. And there's several more they's that follow after that. But all of a sudden in Romans chapter 2, we switch pronouns. Now it's you. Just as they were without excuse, so are you without excuse. He says you're judging people because of their sin. Usually it's a particular sin, ones that we don't have a problem with, right? That's who we judge. Other people and their sins. But you realize, folks, and, and we do, we kind of have a spectrum of where sins fall. And certainly on this earth, there are different consequences for different sins. You've heard me say before, there's a different consequence for murdering somebody and lying to somebody. Very different consequences, but realize though, folks, all sin, any sin, puts you in one category, sinner. So here we are judging people for being sinners when we ourselves do the very same thing. We're doing the same thing. And so then we try to, uh, or God says, you know, why are you doing that? Why are you trying to clear yourself up? And we do this by comparing ourselves. We're doing this trying to deflect and point attention to somebody else saying, look at their sin, look at what they've done. And folks, too many people today are trying to prepare to meet God by playing the comparison game. Seeing how they make out compared to others. And what God would say to them, what God would say to you and I this morning is the comparison game's not going to work. It's not going to work for your life here and now, and it's not going to work for you in eternity. I think the passage we read today kind of points out three different things as why how we compare to others is not going to work for us. First thing the, the passage says is that whatever we think that they have done, it doesn't change anything about what we have done, does it? Whatever they've done, it doesn't change what we have done, but we like to think that. We, we like to think we can deflect God's attention. So remember, we're coming into Romans 2. We've just left Romans 1. We've left this long list of sins that separate us from God. We've left that discussion of homosexuality. And, and, and while the judgment light might be put on us, we want to say, no, look at what they've done. Look, what, look at their sin. I haven't done that. I'm not like that. And yet the passage says what? You do the very same thing. Oh, 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 no, I don't, God. No, I, di I didn't do the same thing as them. I, I, I didn't do anything like that. And, and here's what it sounds like to God, what we're saying, folks. It's like we're saying, look, look at that guy over there. Did you see? He broke your window with a rock. And God says, well, yeah, but you broke the other window with a baseball. 
Well, yeah, but they used a rock. (laughs) Do you see the point, folks? The issue's not what broke the window. The issue is that the window's broken, right? The issue is not what or how you broke God's righteous law. It's that you broke God's righteous law. What somebody else has done, no matter where it falls on your spectrum of serious sins, big sins, little sins, no matter where it falls on the spectrum, whatever anybody else has done, it does not change or clear up what you have done. So the comparison game is not going to work for us because it doesn't clean up anything for us. A second reason that that comparison is not going to work for us now or in eternal life is because God's impartial. God doesn't show favoritism. Now, you might hear that as a warning. You might hear that as good news. Probably a lot of us hear that as good news. Have you ever been not somebody's favorite? Yeah, a lot of us have. Thank you. Have you ever complained about them being the favorite? You know, it starts right in our house, doesn't it? Mom and dad always loved you better. Mom and dad always give you more. You never get in as much trouble. See, mom and dad have favorites. Then we go to school and there's the teacher's pet. And boy, we don't grow out of it either. We get to work and the boss has a favorite. That bothers us, doesn't it? Don't, don't we just get ourselves all tied up when we see who the clear favorite is? Because not only can the favorite get better benefits, but sometimes from our appearances, they don't get in trouble either. Or, or when they do get in trouble, they sure don't pay the price when we get in trouble and do the very same thing. We've complained about favorites our whole life, haven't we? I mean, come on, now, now that I've kind of walked you through this, we do this, don't we? I've got good news for you. If you've never been anybody's favorite, God doesn't play favorites. You're not going to get slapped upside the head for all your wrong while you then have to stand and watch God's favorite just skate. Get away with nothing. God doesn't play favorites. Now, if you're counting on being God's favorite, if you're counting on that's how you're going to slide into heaven, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Now, specifically... And this really, this is not a debate that would probably relate to many of us in here. Specifically, God's writing the Jews right here. God's speaking to the Jews. He says, you're standing back, you're watching the Gentiles do this, who do not have that special relationship with me, who do not have God's word, and and you're waiting for the judgment to fall on them, but you think you're going to skate right on into heaven because you hold the status of God's chosen. You hold the status of, of God's favorite. He says, I got news for you. I don't play favorites. I'm not judging you on a warm sentimentality of who's my favorite. I'm judging you according to my righteous law. God does not take sin lightly. And he's not going to take the judgment of sin lightly. So there is no favorites here. He will judge everybody justly, equitably, righteously according to his law. According, verse 6 says, to what they've done. Everybody's going to be judged. Now, an interesting note here. You read verse 6 and following, and it sounds like people can be saved by their works, doesn't it? I mean, we just left a couple of weeks ago, Romans 1, 16 to 17. Remember, we said those two verses make up the theme of this whole letter. And we see in there that we're saved by believing. We, we see in there that righteousness comes by a, a life of faith. And yet now it's talking about, man, you know, if you do the right works, you're going to be saved. Is there a contradiction there? Absolutely not. We are saved by faith. We will be judged by our works. 
We will be saved regarding heaven versus hell by our faith in Jesus Christ. But folks, on that road to hell, people will be rightly justed by what they did. By their works, they will be judged. There's a different punishment. I guess I would say it's probably enough that you're in hell. But there will be different judgments in hell. On the road to heaven, saved by faith, saved by Christ, we are judged for our works. And there are different levels of reward. There's even, according to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 10 and following, even a sense of loss. I'm in heaven. I've been saved. But when my works don't add up, when a life of following Christ doesn't add up, we're going to sense, we're going to see a, a loss of reward. So we are judged rightly by our works. But ultimately, the case that Paul's building, he started it in chapter 1, verse 18, and it's going to go through chapter 3, is your works aren't going to add up. The bottom line, if we're thinking about being saved, heaven versus hell, your works are not going to add up. Does that mean you've never done a good thing? Does that mean you've never done a good work? Of course it doesn't mean that. Man, we've done good works. Lost people have done good works. Atheists can do good works. The problem, though, is, folks, no matter how many good works we have, they don't add up to a righteous, perfect life, do they? We don't have the works to add up to that. So Paul's building a case here. Hey, you might think this is how it's going to work out, and this is how it's going to get in, and sure enough, that's how God judges, but by that standard, you're not going to get in. God plays no favorites God judges justly. So when we think of favorites, that's comparison, isn't it? I'm, I'm counting on being one of God's favorites because I'm an American, you know, because I'm Baptist. Man, if you think just being God's favorite is going to get you in, that's not going to work. Third reason that comparison won't work for us in this life or the next is because, folks, we're not even true to our own standard. Even if we come up with our own set of laws which are similar to God's, we're not even faithful to ourselves. You know what Paul's done here is he's turned a little bit and now instead of comparing us to others, we're dealing with comparison with ourselves. When I compare me to me, I fall short. How much sense does that make? Twice now in Romans. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. Twice it is said, they are or you are without excuse. The first time we were without excuse, and these are big without excuse, because we deal with the question a lot, we hear people ask a lot, what about people who've never heard, right? What about people who didn't have a Bible? What about people who never heard the gospel? Certainly they can't be held accountable. Romans chapter 1 says, no, they're without excuse. Because people fall down and they worship created things. When God's given us enough intelligence to know this plant, the sun, this statue I carved, there's no way that created the world. There's no way that put everything here. Folks, it's in us that there's an eternal God. And when we rebel against that truth and we worship creation and ultimately ourself, we're showing we're without excuse. The second time, Romans chapter 2, it says that we're without excuse. It starts off there in verse 1 and says you're without excuse. And it's explaining that. Ultimately, it lands at verses 12 to 16. You're without excuse because you know inside you how you're supposed to live. God's put a conscience there that convicts you and says, yeah, that was the right thing to do. Or no, that was, the, that was not the right thing to do. And even when we come up with our own law, we rebel against that. We may do the right things even without having a Bible. He says that of the Gentiles. They'll instinctively do the right thing from time to time. 
I mean, we know, folks. You know, when I open God's Word, it teaches me a lot of things. Things I could have never known without holding this book. But you know what? Even without opening this book, some of what God has written in here, He's written in here. I mean, we know what's wrong to lie. I don't need to open something called the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Did you need to see that to know that there's something not right about that? I don't, I don't quite feel right inside when I lie. Now, as we go along in our sin, we can become hardened to our conscience, can't we? We can kind of sear it over, but that's not how we start life. We start life, and, and when we lie, when we're mean, when we betray, when we're unfaithful, something inside says, hey, that's not right. So even when we have our own list of right and wrongs, we reject that. We, we disobey that. Even the legalists, you, you start putting laws together, maybe they don't even come outside of Scripture. You know, we like to. I mean, this is what religious people, good church people do. We come up with the list of things we can obey. And we use the other list to judge everybody out there. But you know what? We're not even, we're not even faithful and true with our own list. So Paul says, hey, you, you know what? You're trying to compare yourself. You're trying to figure out your status as you go and meet before God. You don't, you, it's not going to work to compare yourself with others. It doesn't even work when you compare you with you. Folks, we're not going to go to heaven by how we look compared to others. By how we look compared to ourselves. There's no opportunity for that. I tell you, as you read Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, you can begin to start to scratch your head and say, man, is there any chance for me to be righteous in this life? To be right with God and right standing with Him? Is there any chance for me to be able to go to heaven? And the answer is absolutely yes. Folks, your opportunity and my opportunity for heaven, for a relationship with God, is God's kindness. That's our opportunity. You know, this whole comparison game's a, a real tricky thing because, you know, folks, no matter how good you are, there's always somebody better, isn't there? And it's true in every area of life. If we're measuring money, if we're measuring brains, if we're measuring athleticism, if we're measuring people, I mean, there's always somebody better. Have you noticed when we're trying to feel better about ourselves, when we're playing the comparison game, have you noticed we always look down the line? We don't look up the line. <laughs> I don't want to look up there and see who's faster than me. No, we look, we look down the line. And that's where we try to deflect God. Hey, God, go down the line. When you compare me, God, I want you to compare me with that guy way down there. Go, go down there and compare me with him. But what if God comes at you with the comparison stick and the name on it's Billy Graham? Oh, no, 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 Lord. No, 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 no. No, don't compare me to him. By the way, you know, Billy Graham is a sinner saved by grace. He needs the grace of God just like you and me. But it's an easy name we all understand, right? I mean, if it was a comparison game, don't compare me to that guy. Compare me to one of those guys you were talking about in chapter 1, verse 24 to 32. Compare, compare me to one of them. You know, folks, we, we, we don't want God coming at us with a comparison stick. Man, you know what we want God coming at us with? His kindness. Chapter 2, verse 4 says that's how God wants to come at you. That's how God wants to approach you. He wants to approach you with His kindness. He wants you to experience His kindness. And so He calls you, He calls me, He says, man, come on, turn from that. That's what repentance is about. Turn, turn from the homosexuality. Turn from the greed. 
Turn from the lust, the anger. Turn from your unforgiveness. And don't just turn so you're one step ahead of your neighbor. Don't don't just turn for a moment so you can say I'm better than them. Turn and come to my kindness. Turn from the worship of, of of creation. Turn from the worship of that false God and turn to my kindness. Turn from those things that you're looking to in life to to give you hope, to give you meaning, to lift your head, as we heard just sung about. Turn from those things and turn to my kindness. You know, folks, you read chapter 1 and 2, and and there's really a sense of heaviness in these chapters, aren't there? I mean, a couple weeks ago, we saw God as a God of wrath. And we see all these sins and we see, man, nothing's working out. If I'm looking at how I live, if I'm looking at how I compare to others, nothing's adding up for me. I'm getting further and further from God. That God can, can look so dark and so cold and so distant and, and you can't get to Him. And we're just kind of overwhelmed with what God's Word is saying about this wrath and this judgment. And that's how we leave feeling about God. And we miss that what God wants us to know and see is His kindness. You know why God can't hold out His kindness alone? You know why He has to show us this full picture of wrath and judgment? Because you and I are just that arrogant. Should I even say, Romans 1 and 2 has, we're just that stupid. We don't think we need God's kindness. So God is painting the whole picture, showing us not just a great opportunity to go out and latch onto the kindness of God, but He's also showing us the incredible need we have to latch on to the kindness of God. Folks, when you and I are called to repent, when we're called to change, the call is so much more than, you're a horrible person, you should be better than that. That's kind of the message of church, isn't it? I mean, that's why a lot of people stop going to church. You go to church, you just hear a constant message of, you need to do more, you need to do better, you need to give more, you need to come more. It's always more, 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 more. No matter what I've done, there's more. We get caught in this game of trying to do more while we run from wrath and judgment. Folks, God's motivation for you and I to turn from our sin and self and the false things we worship is His kindness. I've been thinking about that this week. As I finished this message, as I'd been studying this passage, I guess I got done about Wednesday and was starting to think about this. And I, and I started trying to do something as I went through Thursday and Friday and Saturday. As, as I came up on a temptation, I get tempted, I don't know if y'all do. But as I came up on a, a temptation... I tried to stop myself. And you know, you, we know it, don't we? We like to feel like we're out of control. Oh my gosh, sin just jumped up on me. I, I, I didn't mean to. We, I didn't mean to. Yeah, you know what? There's a moment there where we know exactly what we're doing. We're kind of approaching. We're kind of approaching this temptation. We're kind of approaching this sin. And in that approach, I tried to stop myself and just say, God's kindness is better than that. Whatever I think that's going to offer me Whatever I think that's going to do for me in that moment, God's kindness has more. God's kindness is better. Try that this week. I found it to be kind of an interesting experience. You know, instead of walking up and saying, you know, you're tempted to lie. 
Now, folks, we lie for a reason. It's, it's going to protect us. It's going to get us something. It's going to get us out of something. I mean, we lie for a reason. And, and we walk up and that lie is going to give us something. That lie is going to do something for us. As you approach that lie, just for a moment, just real quickly, just utter these words. God's kindness has more for me than whatever I think that lie holds. I didn't say it'd be easy. You know, you guys say, God, you know, as I live this day, when I start approaching sin, would you slow me down? <laughs> would you make me say this? God, I know your kindness has more for me than that lie. God, I know your kindness has more for me than that lust and that pornography. I know, know what I think that's going to do for me, but your kindness has more. God, I know your kindness has more for me than that anger. I mean, folks, it feels good to lash out sometimes. It feels good to let somebody have it. We want, you know, we want to get even, want to get just. One thing, whatever I think that anger is going to provide for me, your kindness holds more. And if we could just get in the discipline of saying, man, God's kindness, that's where everything in life is. Everything I want, everything I need, everything I would strive after for, it's in His kindness, not in all this other stuff. And folks, it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Maybe another way we could approach this week, instead of just waiting to see what bump jumps up on us, maybe what we could do is we could stop and think about, man, now what are the sins in my life? An attitude, a, a way of talking, a way of treating people, maybe some of my values. What are the sins in my life? We know what our sins are. We, we know where we need to repent and, and, and where we need to change. And, and, you know, we come to church and maybe we hear something and it reminds us of that sin and we feel bad for a moment. And I, I think sometimes we get stuck feeling all I really need to do before God is just feel bad for a moment. If I can just feel real bad about myself for a little bit, then that, that kind of pays for that. And, and we just get stuck in this, you know, this punishment and feeling bad stage. But maybe what I would do is just pick out one thing this week. Don't, don't take on your whole list of sins. I don't know if I can say that. Maybe God would say, take on your whole list of sins. I, I, I got a lot less standards than God has. Pick out one thing you'd like to repent from. Repent. You know what that word means, don't you? It means a U-turn. You know, I'm going a certain direction. On this direction, I, I really, I spend very little time with the Lord. I want to I repent of that. I want to change directions to where I'm spending a lot of time with the Lord. Or, or maybe, you know, I'm, I'm on this road where, man, I'm just really suffering with a temper. My, my, my temper's quick. Maybe, maybe nobody knows you have a temper. But boy, almost every day, it, the temper's going on inside here. I mean, it is, I mean, it's good that you don't lash out, but the fact that it's brewing inside of here doesn't make it a whole lot better. And so, I mean, I want to repent of that, Lord. I want to turn, I, I want to change that and go another direction where I, I start being more peaceful. And, and I start being more kind and more trusting. And I don't respond, I don't lash out. Maybe what I do is I pick out one thing this week and I start praying about all that, that this week and I say, God, I want to change that. And I want to change because of your kindness. I don't, want to be ch I don't want to change so I can look better than other people at church. I don't want to change so I can look better at my neighbor who doesn't go to church at all. I, I don't want to change just because I'm afraid of hell or, or punishment. God, I want to change because you're kind. I, I, I want to I add this to my life. I, I want to correct this in my life. I want to stop doing this in my life because you're kind. Let God's kindness... There's a new thought, isn't it? Let God's kindness be your motivation. 
and all that his kindness holds for you. Folks, you and I need that kindness. I I use that word today, opportunity. Did you see that in all the points? But opportunity kind of implies choices, doesn't it? Oh, that's an opportunity I'll take. Oh, that's one I'll let slide by. Oh, that's one I missed. Folks, God's kindness is actually a little bit more than an opportunity. God's kindness is your only chance. Good news to know He's kind, isn't it? Let's pray. Father, we we do give you praise. We do give you thanks today that you are so kind. And God, I pray that I would not use that kindness to ignore you. I pray I would not use your kindness and patience just to say I'm sorry for sin, only to go right back out and return to it. But God, I pray your kindness would motivate me to godliness and righteousness. God, I pray I would start thinking and praying about how your kindness could motivate me to love and to give and to sacrifice and to serve. I pray your kindness would be my motivation not to stay stuck in sin, but to repent from it. God, you give so much. You have so much. How small it must look that I'm down here running around trying to compare myself to others and say I'm okay because I haven't done that or I'm not as bad as them. Man, Lord, no matter how I weigh this, I fall short. No matter how I weigh this, I come up empty. Except for your kindness. And in your kindness, I have an opportunity to be called a child of God. In your kindness, I have an opportunity for a home in heaven. In your kindness, I have an opportunity to walk through this life and every day look a little bit more like Jesus Christ. May we be a people motivated by your kindness. It's in your name we pray. Amen.